The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shade thrown on Hyatt 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt 9 News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at nine with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. It is Tuesday, November 14th, and today is National Seatbelt Day, National Family PJ Day, and that's talking about pajamas. It's also National Spicy Guacamole Day, and oh, man, Rico, you're going to love this. It's National Pickle Day, and they're not talking about pickleball. They're talking about pickles, and thank you for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy little QR code somewhere on your screen to find out where we live on the Internet. And we are live every Monday through Friday on YouTube and Twitter, Twitch, Rumble, and Facebook. And so welcome to everyone joining us from any one of those audience platforms. But uh, kicking it off, we have the dope dad himself. That's right. Mr. Rico Lamite, who happens to have his glasses on today to make sure that he can see straight. That's right. It is the dope dad himself, Mr. Rico Lamite. What's happening, Jason? I definitely appreciate that. I can see everything. Yes. I know. See clearer? Nothing. You don't have to wipe your glasses? <laughs> no. <laughs> blue blocker actually going those, to be uh, heading are. out to uh they look from the 70s right todd yeah yeah they look like blue blockers yeah glass, blue right? are, they, are they blue blockers because they look yellow i wish oh, okay all right you need to bring blue backer blue blockers back where you find those at walgreens <laughs> the dollar store <laughs> <laughs> i used to rock those when i was i yeah, those those used to be my those were my drinking glasses back in college. <laughs> <laughs> Put the blue blockers on, you knew it was on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was oh, game boy. time. I can't like, comment it, on your anyways, eyesight, uh, my story. <laughs> but I do like your insight. Oh, hey, that was I cute. That was there. that was cute. You know, Ooh, I see real cute. Yeah, real cute. I see what you did there. Real tactical. We're we're gonna get things started today with New York, and um, where. It's beginning to look like New York cannabis industry will be having something to give thanks for this Thanksgiving after all. What are they going to be looking forward to? The settlement. 
because according to the New York Daily News and Law, uh, Law 360, the lawsuit against New York cannabis regulators by a group of service-disabled veterans that stalled the opening of new legal weed dispensaries has been resolved, uh, which should lead to the resumption of the state's long-delayed retail rollout. A lawyer for the group of vets wrote to a state appeals court Monday that they have reached an agreement in principle to settle the lawsuit. Uh, the original filing was alleged uh, alleged that the state programming prioritized social justice goals by first giving out licenses to people impacted by the war on drugs and their families, and they said that that was illegal. For the article, the settlement was uh, has yet to be finalized, but the news of a tentative agreement Spark chatter and group chats among prospective dispensary owners offering hope for cannabis entrepreneurs who've suffered financial loss and mental stress during the three-month-long injunction. There are currently 26 licensed dispensaries operating in New York State. The rest are unlicensed shops that will sell, that currently sell unregulated weed, mostly from California. <laughs> Settlement agreed uh, agreement comes after the state's application did open up to general public as it moved towards the next stage in its rollout. The licensing window launched October 4th and will remain open until December. The settlement must first be drafted and the final version approved by both sides. A bit of good news for once coming out of the Empire State's cannabis industry, just in time for the holidays. Is this a sign of smoother things ahead for New York operators or are they destined to trip over their own feet again and again in the near future? following the steps of the rest of us. I hope it's the former, but what do I know? I'm just Rico to meet the dopest dad on the street for High at Nine News, and I'd like to hear from you guys. I would much rather hear your take on this one. What do you guys think? Is New York finally breaking through? Or are we going to see the full force of retail? going to stumble again, yeah, right? Yeah, right. You, you heard it you here think? first. Yeah, they're gonna stumble and keep stumbling and then stumble some more. A hundred percent, they are. <laughs> I, I mean, do 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 we know any of the details of this of this settlement, is, is, Rico? Is, like, did they say when when no these details stores have been, can start uh, to uh, open? Uh, have been divulged yet? Yeah, so I'm I'm willing to bet that they may. I'm not even. Nope. Sure. I'm, they didn't say shit. Right, that, well, that 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 that's my point because generally when you have a real settlement. Like they'll they'll highlight different bullet points that that were right. deal points in the settlement. And so I'm willing to bet that right now that they don't even have a settlement put together. They're just putting this out there in hopes of negotiating a settlement. I think that you asked the question. Well, the I mean, it was the lawyers plaintiffs. Is the lawyers. Yeah, no, yeah, I, the, the, I the plaintiffs lawyers are the ones who put out the statement that, that, that settlement reached. Yeah, no, he's wearing his tinfoil hat. They they didn't just put that out without having that. And maybe part of the settlement was that they don't disclose the terms of the settlement. Who's to say? But I think the question, the answer is both. Is this a sign of brighter days to come? The answer is yes. And then is this does this mean that they're going to no longer step on the known landmines on the road to regulation? The answer is unfortunately no. They'll probably step on some more. Um, I heard they're but, having a sale in, on landmines in New York for this. Yeah, I mean, the U.N. said landmines are no longer acceptable in warfare uh, in theaters of operation. But apparently when it comes to rolling out regulated cannabis, mm -hmm. it's uh, par for the course. Right. So I think we're going to see more missteps just because the notion that they would go from a flailed rollout to perfect and flawless is is just too optimistic. But mm -hmm. I do think that litigation tends not to uh, generally favor the the broader industry and hopefully people can stay out of court and just let people sell regulated age restricted legal weed. 
yeah, I, I, I'm just I, I'm I don't understand how they they don't have any any bullet points of the settlement and how how they could say that they're not they're going to keep the uh, the settlement quiet when this has to do with a lot of public information in regards with people obtaining licenses, Yarrow. So how does that work? Well, they've done it. They've, they have not been exactly best practices when it comes to transparency there for a long time, whether it was disclosing the funding sources or uh, timelines or how they were going to roll out the, the money that was going to be spent mm -hmm. on a per door basis for the card applicants. I mean, New York has not exactly been super transparent. So I'm not saying that's okay, but I'm saying that it wouldn't surprise me if there was a settlement that didn't include uh, a more thorough disclosure. A more thorough disclosure. Interesting. 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 Man, I just, I, I, I don't see any shops opening any faster with this settlement in New York, because, mainly because there's no details involved. So it sounds like it's going to be gray and murky and people are still going to, even, even probably the people involved in the settlement are probably even confused. I'm sure they are. You know, are they are they behind closed doors? Well, I mean, or are they it, it, behind closed doors because they want to? They don't want it. They they really have no settlement of any kind. Yeah, nothing exactly. to really announce. Exactly. Other than, the, other than the case is over and we're moving on. Right? Yep. Exactly. You guys can proceed. Yeah. You guys are still going to have be. to jump through all these hoops. There's no guaranteed license for you, but you can right, still right. apply. Right. And we wish you the best of luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. And the OCM will try to do yeah, everything we'll, in its power I mean, we'll to see. expedite and, your license. Uh, I mean, the whole point. Go ahead, Rico. And, and to make sure that this uh, settlement stays sealed. And to make sure that the settlement stays sealed, mm -hmm. too. And so right. people can't get the information and see what kind of sweetheart deal that these guys got. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this sounds like all kinds of corruption. I think someone should do a FOIA request into the settlement deal. So I've done that with the in in New York to get information, and and they're not like they've been somewhat responsive, uh, but I think if I was going to grade them in terms of transparency, they'd still get a pretty a pretty low grade because just in general they haven't done, a, in my opinion, a fantastic job being as transparent as they can, as consistently as they can, much less having to reach out and ask for information. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to bet. I don't think they have the capabilities of being transparent. They have no idea what's going on. Right? They have no idea what to report. Mm -hmm. That's true. That is so, so right. true. So, so true. Uh, we ready? You, got any you know, but, but, but I am I am happy for New York, and I hope yeah. – I said I'm happy for New York. Happy for And New hopefully York. this – yeah, I am, man. Yeah, they can be open up. They can be open up dispensaries. It'd be less be people continuing to pay rent. What do you think so? I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think that they're going to open up any faster with this new settlement. I, I think. I think it's flawed from the gates, and the fact that there's no disclosures in regards with the settlement just makes me feel like there's extra funny business involved in this settlement. Well, it is true that Trump was not involved in negotiating the settlement, so there'll be a limitation to the funniness. Well, well, well in, 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 in all fairness, I mean, those those crazy people in New York that are trying to prosecute him are, are a lot of the same people that are behind a lot of this, or at least the same type of mindset. I don't want to say it's the exact same the, the people. The liberal elitist Yeah, the crazy cabal. limousine liberals, exactly. That yeah. behind the scenes yep. between the Rothschilds and Soros 
They yeah. are behind all of this. I know. We all know. These, all these Deep state is after us. It is. They are 100%. They're coming for you and your license. And they got Deep these people. Deep state was early onset. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, you Deep guys are state. funny. Yes. The Jeep State is coming for a, coming to a trail near you. Yes. With the vermin and the thugs at that live amongst us. The Jeep State. And don't forget, don't forget, they they smoke two-year-old weed yeah. now. Yes, that's right. Still pushing two years harder. Hey. Hey, hey. Just saying. Just, yeah. It is what it is. Uh, I was going to take that to a place that I should not take it and then get us demonetized, but um, I'll keep my <laughs> keep All my right. jokes to myself <laughs> until we're deeper into the program. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Algorithm, stop reading. Yeah, fair, fair enough. <laughs> fair, fair enough, because I know I know my, my, my story is going to trigger somebody. We've we, we got a commercial. We're going to just keep it rolling. We're going to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. How's it going, guys? Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world. Did you know that we have an audio-only version of our podcast available on Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and Spotify? Tune in now and check it out. Rico, 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 do you want to make a quick mention about your story yesterday, Rico? I mean... Because apparently, apparently, the story that you covered yesterday, Rico... So... Benzinga has retracted that. Retracted the whole thing, and Burner is like, I don't know where that interview came from. Yeah, you, you know the you know the only place you can still read it is at on High at Nine News website www.highatnineNews.com. You can go there and find it there. We are not beholden to the liberal elite deep we state are not, cabal. We do not we bend the knee. We are independent. We do not bend the knee to this ri- ridiculous censorship of information. Yeah, it, it, yeah. So I, I can go. I can go ahead and say it. So the article that i had yesterday from benzinga that i still have screenshots of and you can find that in the wayback machine you can find it in several places you can find it on our website um benzinga is now saying that it didn't happen so um <laughs> take from that what you will oh man that's so so funny so funny but uh but nothing but nothing ever <laughs> Do you think cookies nothing pay for that? ever 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 fades away into darkness on the internet? You can always find it. Do you think cookies? Oh no, I'm not going. I'm not going to. I was just asking. Uh, speculate on on anything. I'm not going to speculate on, on on any of that. Okay. I, I mean, know. I think the scandal of retracting the in- article I... interview might be just as scandalous as whatever the content of the article slash interview was. I mean, they're talking about how this was AI and and Ben's like what and the responses didn't even make sense and like uh, responses the made sense to me. They made sense to me. Yeah, and the retraction was... without any context for the retraction is in and of itself. A brewing news story we will probably have to I, cover. In the I, future. I, I, I agree with you so much, Yarrow. And well, it almost... well, if, uh, are you saying like are you saying cookies? Cookies alleges that cookies alleges oh. AI. Was the article nope. was all AI? Like, who, where's that coming Twitter from? Twitterverse is saying that it was an AI-generated article that Benzing just didn't actually interview him, and that uh, and and that they're caught red-handed making fake content. That's the allegation de jour. Yes. That's the allegation. 
Well, if, if if that is true, I could see Cookies owning Benzinga. Yes, <laughs> pretty soon, right? <laughs> and then everything coming from Benzinga the will be. They're like, we can't cookies. have any more lawsuits. We already have this many. Like, we even if we're on the prevailing party side, we're just we're we're, we're chock full of lawsuits. <laughs> yeah. We don't want yeah, we're hedged up on our lawsuit game, but. Uh... Well, well, well. Yeah, we will we will stay tuned for that one to see uh, what happens with that one. But um, yeah, apparently the whole article I'm trying to click it right now is it gives me a 404 error. It says the mm-hmm. page you were looking for cannot be found. But yeah, we have plenty of proof that that article did exist. It existed. And the article is out. And we covered it, was, it. Quote unquote news. We covered it. So here um, first. Either way, nine. we're gonna keep it moving here. Yes. And we're gonna talk about uh, um, we're gonna bring it on to the the man known for known best for smoking on the best weed in the world, and he is uh. He is also a huge proponent of fascist regimes looking to take over the United States of America. I am for freedom no, regimes. Freedom, freedom regimes, you mean to say, Rico. Freedom regimes. But nonetheless, um, uh, yet yesterday I was trying to deliver yeah. this story, and something happened. I'm not sure what happened. We have, a, we have eliminated some of the possibilities, but all of a sudden the stream got shut off. So we are going to try to cover this story again and hope that we are not censored by the deep state. But nonetheless, Adam, are you ready with the video? We're going to try playing the video so then that way I don't even have to read it. People have been arrested. Now, there are two different crime scenes out here, this being a residential neighborhood of Hollywood. This is where one of the victims collapsed and died. And tonight, police say that the shooting was triggered by a fight. A murder in the streets of Hollywood. Shots rang out in the 6500 block of Sunset Boulevard just after 2 Saturday afternoon. The sound of gunfire sending many people running. We uh, were walking the dog and one of the guys uh, that looks like they might have been responsible, they grabbed uh, or ran right by us. And... uh, like you heard the gunshot, and then he ran by us. LAPD says two people were shot. One of the victims walked down Seward Street and collapsed in front of a woman's home. She asked us not to show her face. I heard the noise, and my nephew said, maybe that's a firecracker. And that's what we thought it was. And then I opened my gate, and he was right there. His feet was lying in front of the gate. He was facing down when I saw him. But I saw him moving a little bit. And when they turned him over, he was going, you know, he was dying, actually. The male victim died on the sidewalk. A second victim was transported to the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Police say the shooting was triggered by a fight outside a cannabis event. A struggle over a bag would suggest some sort of robbery, being that it was a cannabis event. Uh, I think it's possible that there was marijuana or money involved. Investigators recovered a handgun at the scene. Police arrested two suspects. The incident has left many Hollywood residents rattled. It seems to be safe until now, you know, like you see all these little crime scenes everywhere or every time, so it's a little scary. Again, police arrested two people, and tonight they're still asking for more witnesses to come forward and help with their investigation. That's the latest here in Hollywood. Carlos Salcedo, KTLA 5 News. All right. Well, just for anyone that needs further clarification on this, this was at the Backpack Boys grand opening of their Hollywood shop on Sunset Boulevard. And I can tell you what, I'm not buying the fact that the cops are saying that it was a a, a dispute over a bag and there was cannabis involved or yada, 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 yada. 
not buying any of that. There were many reports that we saw um, on social media that day that were claiming that there was a drive-by, but I had talked to many people on the scene that were actually there, and that that is all fake news. There was no drive-by at all whatsoever. To my understanding, uh, from what I was told by someone that was there on 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 the site, is that there were two D-list rappers that got into an altercation. One of them pulled out his little pea shooter and started shooting at, at another at, at at the person that he was arguing with. And then the store's security guard shot the shooter. And then he ran off, and apparently he uh, unfortunately passed over on Seward Street. And that's what I'm hearing from the streets as far as what actually really happened at this. And the, my, the most craziest part of this whole story is what happened afterwards. And I just went on Instagram to see if I could still see the post, but it's been deleted. But I did see Juan who is the uh, main owner of Backpack Boys, he put out a post maybe about an hour after this whole thing saying, sorry, guys, there was a little incident around the corner in the neighborhood. A lot of people think that it had something to do with our store, but just so you know, our grand opening is back on and everything is back to normal. And that post has been deleted. So what do you guys have to say about this? I'd be feeling violent too if I was only a D grade rapper. <laughs> My favorite line of the whole story: D D list, D list rappers. rappers, yeah, D list rappers. I mean, uh, I, I I do find it a little interesting, and I want to hear what you guys think because uh, Backpack Boys have had two major events that were Backpack Boys specific events. There was an NFT launch that they had about a year, year and a half ago out here in LA, and there was uh, someone shot at that event. And now this is their grand opening. They got shot up again, too. Like, what's, what, what is going on? And the neighborhood crime story was deleted. Well, that's yeah, this, yeah. Coincidence? Mm-hmm. I think not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the bigger crime is anybody who thought anybody was going to yeah, make any this... money on NFTs to begin with, okay? You can fit a lot of NFTs in a backpack, and it's still not full. I, again, I think that it would be a little hasty to just attribute to them yet. I think this one we've, you know, more information will drip out. Uh, more will be revealed. Um, mm -hmm. It's not a good look for any neighborhood or entity or business, but I, I think it's a little too soon to say that this is uh, just because of proximity doesn't mean causation, right? Well, I, I, well, I mean, well, I will say this is that both of the people were there for the backpack boys grand opening. So, is is that still the case that way, Yarrow? I mean, if guns don't kill people, Jason, then we can't say brands are the reason guns, why guns, 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 guns do not kill people. People kill people right. just using guns. Right. So D-grade rappers are D-grade rappers for a reason. I don't know if it's just because they're into the backpack boys. If that's the reason why they. Oh, I'm not. Know, I'm not. Like I'm not. I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that. I'm not trying to suggest that. But what one thing I do, I do wonder, and 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 I guess time time will tell with this is what kind of um, enforcement does the DCC have in regards with this when there is a shooting on a licensed dispensary's property? Well, I know they're responsible for making sure that these D-grade rappers can at least beat match and that they have the right timing for their rhymes. Mm -hmm. So there is a division just for bad, spitting bad, bad lyrics mm -hmm. in Sacramento. 
No, but I'm 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 being really serious. Do, I mean, do you think that that they will maintain this retail license since they had they had individuals with that started a firing match, uh, and and then ultimately a security guard had to uh, end the situation. I do. I think that the, these people will say we can't control human behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, that there are. That's what I was thinking. Do- yeah. Yeah, I, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that they're going to say, hey, it's clearly demonstrated that you can't control your crowd. You can't control your parking lot. There's been numbers of other cannabis businesses throughout the state that have had large crowds and never had any incidences. And yet when you guys have it, boom, all of a sudden something crazy happens and boom. But again, I don't think they'll take the license. I mean, they can put people under review, promotionary periods, find them, et cetera, make sure that they're reviewing their security plans, asking them to augment their security plans. There's a lot they can do. Um, to put pressure on those retail locations. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting, interesting. And I guess I just know the next time the back boy, backpack boys have an event, like um, notice wrap up. I don't know. I saw <laughs> I saw a very popular Instagram page, Poetry of Plants, put out a backpack boys uh, a bulletproof vest branded all red. It was Not really awesome. sweet. Too soon. Yes, it looked real sweet. <laughs> bulletproof bulletproof boys. Yeah. yeah. The bulletproof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Backpack opens up to be a complete vest. I'm not oh, touching yeah. that one. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, there's going to be a spice well, store. Right that one. I had to retract, I had to retract the statement. There's going to be a spite store right across the street. Mm-hmm. It's going to be called the Fanny Pack Girls, and we'll see who does better. Oh wow! And uh, well, interesting. Nick, Nick says that <laughs> Nick says that the DCC only regulates operators, not what goes on around them. Interesting, Nick. Well, I think time will tell. I'm, I'm going to be interesting to see what goes on. But... I don't think Nick's wrong. Nick's not wrong on the regular. You don't think? I. I, I mean, I, yeah, it I, seems I, like I an just... LAPD matter, not a not a cannabis control board matter. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But time either way, whether whether there's jurisdictional authority or not, they'll still be under the magnifying glass for quite some time because of this. I I totally agree with that. That is for sure, without a doubt. Uh, but nonetheless, we're going to keep this train rolling. Yeah. We've we, we've done enough on this story. We're going to keep this train rolling. We are going to move right in. What's that, Adam? Oh, we have a commercial. No, no, no. We have one more speaker and then a commercial. We're going to roll right on in to Mr. Todd Dankin. He is the voice. That's right. That you all love to hear. Coming straight from Las Vegas, Nevada. He's the founder of Digipath Labs and the creator of the Smuggleverse, the place where you can get all of your cannabis nfts that's right it is none other than mr todd dankin thank you sir good morning kids uh i have a really feel good story sweet we need one after that last one i know right Missouri expunged nearly a hundred thousand marijuana convictions in a year Despite missing deadlines under Amendment 3, all nonviolent cases related to cannabis are required to be expunged. Just over a year ago, Missouri voters approved Amendment 3 to legalize cannabis possession and sales for adults over 21, while witnessing how quickly the market found its footing with sales beginning less than three months later on February 3, 2023. Perhaps more impressive is the state's commitment to cannabis-related expungements. Under Amendment 3, all nonviolent cases related to cannabis are required to be expunged, meaning that case record is sealed or destroyed and involved persons are cleared of all their charges. 
a fully completing expungements is likely to, is unlikely to happen under the deadlines indicated in the new law. The state has expunged nearly 100,000 cannabis convictions from government records. The law includes a June 8th deadline for misdemeanor expungements and a December 8th deadline for felony expungements, with an exception for those still incarcerated or currently under supervision by the Department of Corrections. Ann Viets, a Missouri attorney, the focus on defending cannabis cases wrote parts of the constitutional amendment. Speaking with KMBC9, he nodded to this missed deadlines and highlighted the sheer amount of work involved in expunging Missouri's cannabis-related cases. He said, we have always said that as long as the courts, the circuit clerks in particular, are making a good faith effort to comply with the law, get those cases expunged that we'll be satisfied. They have not technically met the deadline, but on the other hand, we're dealing with a century of marijuana prohibition in Missouri. So there are hundreds of thousands of cases. Progress is evident as reports from June 2023 show that the state had expunged about 44,000 cases at the time, and even over the summer, experts had already theorized that the deadlines imposed by the amendment were likely to be met. Even Sokoloff, senior counsel for Missouri Association of Prosecuting Attorneys, believed that the deadlines were destined to fail from the beginning, calling the amendment very poorly written and drafted without Missouri law in mind. Sokoloff told St. Louis Public Radio in June, I quote, so it doesn't actually track a lot of the aspects of Missouri law, and as a result, it makes a lot more difficult for compliance because there's some mashing of square pigs to round holes that has to go on. Tackling the entirety of the state's nonviolent cannabis-related offenses is made even harder, given the way expungements are treated throughout the state. Some counties are quick to clear cannabis convictions, while judges and prosecutors in other counties have resisted and further delay expungements. I had told, uh, spoke to this reality over the summer to Missouri Normal, where he also works as a coordinator. He said, it is clear that many counties have made no serious effort to comply with the requirements of the Missouri Constitution. It should not be necessary to seek a court order in order to force our courts to comply with the Missouri Constitution. But if that is what is required, we may pursue that option. There is no reason why these counties should be dragging the feet and failing to comply with the laws passed by the voters, voters of our state. John Mueller, a co-owner of 31 Greenlight Dispensary stores with 15 in Missouri alone, uh, said that revenues have tripled since making the switch from medical to recreational. That increased revenue from adult-use cannabis sales generates tax dollars for municipalities and the state, which in turn can be used for the expungement process, he pointed out. That's one of the things that I think the industry is most proud of, he said, is getting in the Constitution. While 100,000 cases in a year is worth celebrating, Missouri is only just getting started. Yetz told KMBC9 that lawsuits are possible if specific communities don't put in the work to expunge cannabis-related offenses covered by the new law. Even the current process, he added, he expects the entirety of the expungements to take years to fully complete. So why does this take so long? I'm Todd Dankin with Hyatt 9 News. What are your guys' thoughts? Good news with a caveat. This is, this, yeah, this is good news right I, here. I, 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 I agree, Todd. It should not have taken this long, but I'm glad they got it done. 
Yeah. I should not have taken that, that long. And I'm just thinking, you know, if people were able to get their uh, records expunged before they started handing out licenses, how many more people would be able to participate? Without a doubt. Without Here's a doubt. what challenges me. There's two parts of this that challenge me. The first is there was a district attorney in Alameda County who was really at the forefront of this notion of cannabis expungement. And if I was a better man, I would have her name right now. I have her business card somewhere. She was honored by the East Bay chapter of normal. Um, and, and I talked to some people later and there's an automated way to do this for most criminal justice systems. And so there's a cheaper way than paying low level attorneys and paralegals within the DA's office to go through these files. And so it, it just challenges me when I hear that this is going to take a really long time because I'm like, are they using the best mousetrap possible? Are they employing technology that's going to save the taxpayer? Uh, and, and then the other thing that challenges me is is just the notion that expungement is uh, an, a, a, a fair outcome, right? Like it's better than a kick in the teeth. Don't get me wrong. But until we start to have mass pardons, reinstatement of people's Second Amendment rights, and the ability to have not had that on their record at all, expungement is a really antiquated model for a pre-internet age. Uh, and I just don't think it moves the needle as much as people think it does. So yeah, it's a feel-good moment. But like, let's keep that feel-good in context in terms of how much feel-good do we really get from expungement versus mass pardons. Um. Because the mass pardons is what makes the real change. You know, yeah. the expungement, oh, I can't read about it anymore. <laughs> you know, big deal. Oh, it's right? like it's right. like the really Benzo point, Benzinga so. article. Well, right, and, that's and right. Then, and, and then you, 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 can be like, you can be like California and have a bunch of paper records, which makes no sense uh, anytime after 2000. But, um, uh, you know, here in California, they found over 100,000 more, 150,000 more after the fact that were uh, on paper records that the system was not able to even identify. I wasn't able to even see uh, after the first couple of rounds of expungements were automatically placed out here. So, so what's um, the cost and what's knows. the benefit, right? And so that's right. where I go to this. And it's like, okay, if it's going to take you years to do this, you guys are not employing technology to do this in a more efficient way. And then what's the benefit? Expungement is better than a kick in the teeth. It's a step in the right direction. It is nowhere near the power of a pardon. And some of these... Some of these executive branch governors need to get off their keisters and start thinking about how with the swipe of a pen, they can do more good than this other lengthy, expensive process, which doesn't create the same outcomes. So I just Who's think- Who's gonna fill the beds in the private prisons? Well, well I... we, need to, we need to ask for more and expect for more. Expungement is a good first step. It's nowhere near righting the wrong. Nowhere and near right. So 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 in this, I just feel like a lot of these uh, district attorney's offices could implement some type of uh, AI technology to go through the case log to extrapolate all of this and not really have to worry about uh, paying a, a human work workload hours and, and cost of the taxpayer in order to, to source all these uh, people that would be eligible. They've already cracked the code on how to do that. Why don't you guys holler at us here in Northern California, the birthplace of Silicon Valley, and a lot of technology innovation? Because y'all are taking years to do this. It means you're not doing it with technology. Well, we, we invite you to step into the 22nd century. Well, you know, it, on that, Yarrow, maybe maybe all these technological companies, since they all want to be so woke, maybe they should offer this service for free to all these jurisdictions and license that software out to them for free. 
Silence, huh? I'm here crickets. Exactly. Figured as much. Figured as much. Mm-hmm. See, big tech ain't trying to give nothing up for free, even when it's trying is, to help is, the this, people. This is, this is they, something that Amazon should take over. This is a project Amazon <laughs> should be able to take over, right? <laughs> oh yeah, we'll just waiting in the wings. Yeah, we'll just anyway. we'll, we'll just drop drop ship your uh, your expungement papers. All of a sudden, yeah, you get an Amazon envelope. Yeah, drone exactly. delivery. Let's see if those get shot down on Sunset Boulevard. Listen, the mouse garden is absolutely an Amazon Prime purchase. It's it's free delivery, and it'll be there in two days. Mm -hmm. Let's go for the mouse pardon. Let's take these governors and say thank you, sir, very much for your expensive expungement processes, which create a less impactful result for those defendants. And let's get your mass pardon on. Just get your pencil ready and start signing, okay? It's not that difficult. <laughs> Biden set the, the mini precedent of doing a little bit of a pardoning thing on the federal level, which had really zero impact. But these governors need to understand the power of the pardon. And most of these defendants can't hire an attorney to go lobby the state to say, look, this was unfair because of X, Y, and Z. And can I get my rights back? Can I get would my beg, right? Would you, would you beg for your pardon? I would. I would. I would. <laughs> the notion that as a grandfather to be, I could never go duck hunting in the Sacramento Delta. That's not true. Grandchild you, could, have you can go duck hunting. Because I have hunting. a cannabis felony for my fucking teens. If you have a cannabis a felony in California, you don't lose your rights to own a gun. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. We will spend a whole other episode. You should have Omar back on because that's. Not I would true. love to. I would love to. But Omar I'll is running go, for judge. Yeah, yeah, but he'll judge that statement. He'll judge that statement and tell you that that was just nonsensical. That's not know. accurate. I don't know. I'd never go I duck do. hunting without it. Without without a super without a Nintendo zapper gun, then you're not really duck hunting in the first place. That part right. is true. That part is true. And on that, we're going to go to a commercial. We're going to be right back. The control tower from Highly Educated has perfected the dab. Utilizing the concept of thin film evaporation, you can waste none of it and taste all of it. The micro texture of the SE pillar increases nucleation at elevated temperatures. And with the tower propelling at 2600 RPMs, it's certainly the most efficient dab experience to date. The control tower from Highly Educated. Oh yeah, stop whatever you're doing. Make sure you hit that like button. Also too, make sure you subscribe to the channel if you've not subscribed already. Hitting the like button is probably the easiest thing that you can do for the show because it's what YouTube loves the best. So just go on down there, hit that like button, and you'll feel better, we'll feel better. And look, someone just did it. Good looking out. Thank you, all of you. And all of the articles that we cover on today's show, you can read on our website at www.hyatt9news.com. We'll see you there. I'm Jason Beck, and this is Smoky Vanilla. And if you want to feel as good as I look, then you need to get yourself a stretch and smoke with Smoky Vanilla. That's right, baby. I'm Smoky Vanilla with my background in kinesiology. I'm a sports massage therapist and stretch coach. I focus mostly on athletes who have chronic pain or injury due to their sport or the legends of the chronic in the game, baby. Oh, yeah. You know what it is. We just stretched and now we're going to smoke because you know what it is. That's right. I love intuitively creating a session based on the individual I'm working with. We'll go through a few assessments, look at the past health history, injury, or anything that's still affecting you today, and create a customized session just for you. Let's go. 
That looks like a really great time, that stretch zone. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's I, happening today. The new, the new soul sample. I'm digging a nice. new soul sample in the background of that one, yes. Jason. Every, every Tuesday. Every every Tuesday. Yes. Tacos and stretch. Stretch and stretch. tacos. <laughs> but I'm or next. stretch your taco. pajamas for pajama day, right? <laughs> yeah. Stretch your taco. Stretch your taco in your PJs. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Oh my God! See what I'm, you next. Did there. I'm next. <laughs> the second generation cultivator and the founder of Special Teams Consulting. And you know what? Since nobody knows if he's really in Florida or Northern California, it's the Sarasota Bastopol Sage himself, <laughs> Yara Kubrin. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! We are gonna have to spend Thanksgiving weekend going over the intro for Kubrin. Uh-huh. So, uh, good morning, Quiet Nine News viewers. This is Yaro Kubrin, and my article today here on Tuesday uh, is about more litigious people. Pot company sues California city after spending a ten million dollars trying to open pot shop. A California cannabis dispensary is suing its local government for failing to give it a permit to open, which it says is costing it $110,000 a month as it waits for the final approval. High Seas, a dispensary in Costa Mesa, California, said in a press release last week that it has spent over $10 million on building out a pot store in the Orange County city. Per the release, the dispensary is spending $110,000 a month on fees, salaries, and maintaining the property while still waiting for its final business license from the city. Not only has the license not been granted yet, but, quote, the city has not provided high seas any legitimate reason in writing as to why they are withholding the final permit issuance, unquote, it said in a release. High Seas has now turned to the court system, filing a lawsuit in Orange County Superior Court last week that asks a judge to force the city of Costa Mesa to issue the company's final cannabis business permit. Our right to operate has been infringed upon by the city's unwarranted lack of action, says the High Seas majority owner Rachel Zinn in a November 7th press release. These delays are costing us exorbitant monthly fees as we work to retain our highly trained employees and pay mortgage rates with no income, not to mention the lost tax revenue the city isn't collecting. High C said the city gave the dispensary preliminary approval two years ago, and the company has since spent $4.5 million improving its Costa Mesa property and the additionally seven, several million dollars applying for city permits, according to the lawsuit. The dispensary has since earned a state license past all local building and fire inspections and is now waiting for a final cannabis business license from the city. Yet Costa Mesa has completely stopped communicating with high seas despite multiple attempts by the company to contact the city government by email, by phone, in person, and in writing written and in write in written legal letters, according to the lawsuit. ICs hasn't heard back from the city since it received its final building department inspection on September 26th, according to the filing. All inquiries have been ignored and no response as to the reason for not issuing the cannabis business license given, ICs said in the lawsuit. Local governments across California have been accused of mismanaging cannabis permitting and making it nearly impossible for legal pot companies to get a permit. A recent study conducted by the University of California, Berkeley, found that on average it took two years for a cannabis farm to get a local license. 
Jonathan Kovetko, executive director of the United Cannabis Business Association, said he's seen retail pot shop owners run out of money waiting for local governments to grant their licenses. He explained that local government in California often requires business owners to, to rent a property before they can apply for a permit, even though it can take years for the city to actually approve the license. The gap can leave business owners paying rent for years before they can make a single sale. It makes it nearly impossible to have a viable business when they can raise when they raise their money, and most of those funds go to just keeping the project alive before they even open. Quebeco said to SFGate, the city of Costa Mesa did not respond to SFGate's request for comment. It's not clear whether it's responded to Zin's petition yet. So let me kick this off for a second. I think we can acknowledge that across the country, one of the biggest issues in rolling out regulated cannabis or going from medical to adult use is a lack of brick and mortar retail locations, a lack of access, and what that does to a regulated supply chain that typically is more permit friendly on the cultivation side. Lack of retail is one of the biggest problems in this regulated paradigm, in my opinion. Secondarily, the two years that it's taken on average is terrible. The cost to businesses before they've gotten open and the burn rate on having to secure real estate is a major issue. We can look at people like Kika Keith. It took over a thousand days before she got to open her retail location in Los Angeles. And so going from a thousand days down to two years is not, the, it's not, that's not progress. That's barely progress. And it's really, really expensive. So I think that we need to think about how we support the regulated industry by fast-tracking the permit process and by aligning those timelines with what other on-cannabis businesses might otherwise expect to get a restaurant or delicatessen opened. I'm curious to hear what my other guests think about this and whether they think this is just another whiner or whether maybe this lawsuit could cause cities to rethink the pace at which they actually do business. This is Yara Kubrin, High at Night News, Tuesday morning. Well, I don't think it's going to change Costa Mesa's mind on how they do business. Because they, they, they got money. If you're in a broker city, then yes, it definitely will change uh, the mind of the city manager, in my opinion. But if you have cities that are much more affluent, have much more money on their balance sheets, it's not going to change anything. Well, rich cities are not. Either way, they're spending taxpayer money. To, to to participate even against their 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 choice in a civil litigation because this business is burning through one hundred and ten thousand dollars a month so it's cheaper for them to litigate than it is to just sit there whittling their thumbs and being patient. Um, it seems to me that at a very minimum, cities do have a requirement to get back to permit pending licensees within X number of days, whether that's five business days, two weeks, a month. It sounds like this city has just ghosted them. And while I'm not a big proponent of litigation or or the courts as a way to get, get one's way, if the city ghosts you and you've got a burn rate of a buck 10 a month, what else are they supposed to do? Yeah, no, you're you're, you're 100% so right. What, There's not a lot of other options there, there other than to take the litigious route. I agree with you on that, Yarrow. What's the advantage of the city from denying, you know, forward progress? What do they gain? That's what doesn't make sense to me, right? They, they get notoriety on High at Nine News. With they, 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 gain, they, they gain clout of an aging demographic who is, is, is not going to be in favor of these laws uh, 10, 15 years from now, right? Mm -hmm. This is an easy issue where the city wins, where they can uh, get more tax revenue, 
Uh, they can uh, they can uh, fund their pet projects, uh, whatever they want to do. But you know what? Um, if a small, loud uh, a constituency, a portion of their constituency is against this shit, like this is just old old ass politicians that need to step aside. Uh, this yeah. bureaucracy at its finest, right here. Yeah. Oh. Another another point on this, Yaro, is that a, a lot of times too, um, the cities will feel as though that they that to Rico's point are are voicing in the in the in the in the way of of a portion of their constituent base so they can justify that as far as a taxpayer expense but uh some of them also too have a, a still a very prohibitionist attitude and they're not happy that they're having to do it and so to them as much as much as they can do to slow down the process or to make it um unfinancially feasible for certain individuals to be able to open they are all for that because that still works for them as far as not opening as many stores as would have opened this reminds yeah. me this reminds me a lot of uh you know on a federal level you know everybody around joe biden is pro cannabis everybody around him is saying that yo if you don't move forward on this Donald Trump is going to come in. He's going to steal this issue right from under your uh, right from under your nose. He already and has. he's just like and he's just stuck in the 80s and stuck in the 90s because that's his happy place. Mm -hmm. I feel like, I mean, like this is what's going on at, at, at a lot of these small prohibitionist towns and Costa Mesa is just another one of them. Well, there's a lot of ice Let's cream in no. the 80s and 90s, Rico. I mean, a lot, I, a lot of ice cream. I think I think I don't know that Joe Biden is really pro cannabis, even if he's surrounded with people who are a little bit more. He is not pro cannabis. The he's only not. drug, the only drug they've verified found in his White House was cocaine, not cannabis. So, like, I'm just not totally sure that he has yes. seen the light in respect to what the next generation of uh, of humanity uh, will look like and the policies that will support that. The, the one thing I would say, when when Mr. Dankin asks the question, what does the city get out of this sort of obstructionistic and sort of delay tactic, it, it's not the first municipality that we've seen stand up, legislate, uh, stand up a regulatory framework, and then within that regulatory framework, drag their feet at every possible uh, point. It's so that they can say that they've done it without having done it. And then it's bleeding these businesses dry before these businesses no. are off the starting block. But really, it's so they can say, look, we have a program. It's not our fault the industry can't get its shit together and be successful. We've provided the framework, and so it's not on us. And so I think, you know, to your to your question, there are unfortunately this is not the only municipality where they've stood up something but then the way in which they've executed their own regulatory framework is where the where these businesses go to die death by a thousand cuts and where that time just really really sucks all of the potential profitability and enthusiasm out of those participants who've managed to just sit in the box and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait in the hopes that they finally get an opportunity to sell legal weed Yep. And, and then after yeah. they wait, 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 and they lose money and they see everybody around them getting money, they're going to be like, oh, we have to get up on this at that point. Like, vote these people out. It just out, baffles, me. Get them baffles out. me how these cities and these agencies don't assist the, the cannabis capitalist, right? They don't assist us in any right. way and make everything difficult, right, along the way. It just doesn't make any sense. And... It doesn't matter who's in office. It's always the same, right? Let's make it very difficult for these guys. I had an audit uh, last year, and it went on from March to March, an entire year. 
it cost me $70,000 because we have to pay our CCB to come out and do the audit at $111 per hour. You guys got all those unions out there. Oh, it has nothing to do with a union. Uh, it was written in the legislation, <laughs> and it wasn't enforced, and then they started enforcing it. But it's been changed. But still, still cost me seventy grand, right, to uh, to pay to get audited for because it took them a year. Mm-hmm. Year. I mean, I look at that the way I look at a colonoscopy. Okay, I had to go through the colonoscopy, and I still had to pay my health insurance for the opportunity to do it. But at the end of it. I got a clean bill of health. And so I do think that being post audit and being able to say that you've been strenuously regulated and overviewed and, and inspected, there's a there's a value to that. I'm not as upset at the notion that they're going to pass through the expenses of regulating the industry as I am at the fact that time is money and that the time that it takes yeah. or like get me open, regulate the heck out of me, audit me, inspect me, colonoscopy me. I don't care, but at least allow me to be a business that's in operations. And when we're talking about two years and we're talking about two years after they got the license issue, oh, right? It's, it's that preliminary, there was time before that, that we're not even putting on the clock two years from that. And they still don't have a certificate of occupancy. And they waited until they got that before they deployed the other $4.5 million or whatever it is that they've put into some of those improvements to the real estate. They waited until they got their initial entitlements to not get a certificate of occupancy and we're post-covid the city can't say oh we have a limited skeleton staff it's just sad and it's really uh, unfortunately i wanted to you know counterbalance your feel-good article with something that again went back to the ridiculous overregulation and, and onerous uh processes but it's just sad because I think the regulated cannabis industry, if it can get dispensaries open quickly in these exciting markets like California or New York, then we're going to do well. And if we can't, then we're not going to do well. It might actually be that simple. Hey, Todd, Todd, real quickly here. Um, your uh, um, state out in Nevada, they had a big controversy with that, with uh, with them uh, slow walking licenses and slow walking all those audits. Whatever came of those grievances that were filed by uh, by local business owners out in Nevada. Yeah, I uh, I don't think it's been settled yet. You know, there's a still a big grievance. Right? They haven't awarded the licenses yet. The, they they talked about putting it on the back burner because they wanted to deal with these lounges now, and they just awarded all these lounge uh, licenses, which uh, stood should start opening within the next several months. Yeah, they they, they said. Uh, I think I read this morning. They said that they're hoping to have the first lounges open by the end of the year. Sounds like right. sounds a lot like New York to me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> they took a page out of. Well, New there's York's been a playbook. lot of guys that have been prepping for it in anticipation of winning the license, right? So, like uh, Larry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Big shout out to my man Larry. <laughs> yeah. Shout Good out to Larry, Larry. over there, yeah. Planet Thirteen. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, that Jason, place is got, off the hook. Yeah, Jason, you got one more for us, uh, don't you, today? I got, I got, I got one or two more depending on time, but yes. We, we, we yes. got enough for one one. We more. got Let's enough one time more. for one story. All right, you guys, are you ready for this? Oh man, you guys are gonna think. Oh boy, White Earth marijuana raid challenges a Minnesota cannabis law. That's all right. Three months ago, 
Mahoneman County Sheriff deputies and White Earth Tribal Police raided Todd Thompson's tobacco shop, seizing seven pounds of cannabis, $3,000 in cash, his cell phone, and surveillance system. Thompson, a member of the White Earth Nation, believes he has the right to sell marijuana on the reservation under tribal uh, constitutions and U.S. treaties with the Ojibwe. The raid came the day after adult-use marijuana became legal in Minnesota, and Thompson and other tribal members openly advertised marijuana for sale, leading to the raid. Thompson alleges the raids was a retribution from the tribal council for infringing on their marijuana sales monopoly. White Earth Nation Chairman Michael Fairbanks denies ordering the raid and stating the tribal police assisted county law enforcement. The case... Uh, raises complex legal questions about jurisdiction and tribal sovereignty. While Minnesota can prosecute criminal violations on certain reservations, it's unclear if selling cannabis without a license is a criminal or civil violation. The 1987 Supreme Court case California versus Cabazon Band of Mission Indians may be pivotal, uh, pivotal in determining if the state can prosecute Thompson. Minnesota's recent cannabis laws aim to aim to end punitive approaches to marijuana crimes, making charging a Native American for selling weed without a license politically sensitive. Democrats argue the new laws promote racial justice, ex- expunging records and marijuana and of marijuana convictions and providing opportunities for those disproportionately affected by the war on drugs. Dave Hart commander of the Paul Bunyan task force involved in the raid emphasized the case's disrespect for the law. However, Thompson asserts they only sold to adults and the focus should be on addressing heroin, fentanyl, and methamphetamine issues. The fact that cannabis remains illegal under federal law adds complexity, but federal law enforcement prioritizes cases involving minors, criminal enterprises, firearms, and serious factors. White Earth Nation is left to enforce adult use cannabis codes prohibiting cultivation and sale without tribal licenses, and Thompson challenges both state and tribal code, questioning the legitimacy of Public Law 280 and the Tribal Council's authority. Law professor Angelique Eaglewoman is skeptical of Thompson's interpretation of tribal constitutions and says the the, the raid's uh, legality remains in question with jurisdictional issues and unclear timelines for the tribal regulatory regime implementation. Thompson is considering legal options, emphasizing that the situation is far from over. (laughs) So you got someone trapping on the reservation who's a member of the reservation just saying, hey, you know what? I'm opening up shop and screw you guys. Shout out to freedom. It's so not complicated. First of all, whatever that reservation, whatever the tribal leadership decides are the rules of that nation are the rules of that nation. If he doesn't like it, so what? That's a sovereign nation. They make their own rules. You got a problem with it? Fuck off. Okay. And so, like, how are you going to take issue with the way that a sovereign nation wants to govern? You can take issue, but he doesn't have a leg to stand on. And then, and then, second, I think he does. You, I think he does because because if the if the tribe didn't didn't di- wasn't uh, that concise with the wording and as far as who is able to sell cannabis, he he might he may very well have a case. If 
the governance and rules of how those things are 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 dealt with according to those tribal laws if it gives him recourse yeah but if it doesn't he's not have anything to complain about right and and so the only thing that's that gets murky is when you have the united states come to enforce on a on a sovereign on a tribal nation. land yeah and so like if they wanted to enforce they could just post up at the at the at the boundary and then just bust people who are leaving the reservation with cannabis and then once they cross that boundary it's actually international drug smuggling even though that sounds really bigger than it is uh but 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 this guy doesn't have any there's no lane for him if he doesn't like the rules that that tribe has set up for its sovereign nation but he doesn't really have a lot of lane to 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 make a big issue out of what, that what what if this guy is part of the tribe Yaro. Hey, I'm part of the tribe, just a different tribe. We don't talk about that these days. But um, no, I mean, part of the tribe or not, if he's part of the tribe, then he is he is still obligated, whether he's a part of the tribe or not, to follow the tribal rules when he's on sovereign land. Yeah, but you're assuming Period. you're 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 assuming that the tribe has these rules in place. Most tribes are pretty top heavy in terms of rules and regulations and slow moving ways of making decisions. I, I just think that if he has a problem with the way the tribe runs those sovereign grounds have fun have fun with that he might have a he might have a he might have a claim to say hey you shouldn't have come across this boundary and busted me but tribes often rely on the infrastructure and resources of the united states whether it's bringing electricity and utilities to the to their sovereign nation or it's relying on outside police or hospitals even though they're sovereign they're not completely disconnected right i mean I, I I guess. What what do you think of the fact that they have a Paul Bunyan task force? I was gonna say the same thing, Jason. Uh, um, um, I'm I'm saying. Uh, um. <laughs> isn't that isn't that uh, cultural appropriation, or what they like to call that? Well, because Paul Bunyan was Paul Bunyan a real person? Was big blue big blue ox? Was that, was that, was that a real? Are you saying that oxes entity? can't be blue? Are you saying they're, they're, they're appropriation blue people and blue animals? Like, where are you going with this appropriation thing? No. Going with this really is Paul was the first person body shamed. Right? Like Paul Bunyan was the original body shamed victim because of what he had on his feet. Like his bunion shouldn't have been anybody's business. That's hey. exactly <laughs> why America Ooh, hey. confidentiality around health issues is because Paul was like, Yeah, that's fucked up. I'm in history because of what was on my feet. And really, what's behind my socks and beneath my ankles is confidential and should have just between me and my doctor. Paul Bunyan was a colonizer. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Yeah. But thank you all for joining us for yet another episode of High at Nine News. You can catch us live weekdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, high noon on the East Coast. Big shout-out to our super fans showing love, getting their comments posted live on the big screen, our live audience and online supporters catching us across all media platforms, tuning in each day to the headlines of chaos, also known as the developing cannabis industry. And to our vetted correspondents tuning in from all over, bringing us much-needed variety of perspective and your respected opinions to the table. To our production team, cloud media partners, all of our sponsors, Sponsors keeping the lights on in our AV struggles to a minimum. And um, always Cannabis Sativa L, the reason that we show up to read these stories every single day. Thank you. It has been Taco About It Tuesday, November 14th, 2023. The show's over. You've all been blessed with the top industry headlines. Hope it's enough for you to put in your pipe and smoke at least until tomorrow. Mr. Sage himself, Yaro Kubrin, the angry, angry Floridian. You have the outro today. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure to be a guest on this show thank you everybody for tuning in come back see us tomorrow 
We keep it spicy. We keep it lively. This is the best place to get your infotainment. So I'll be seeing you shortly.